Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, please turn with me again to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. This morning is part two of a two-part sermon on this passage. If you were with us last week, we spent our time really in verse 13 trying to define what it means to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We also got Peter's definition of the role of the government uh, sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And Peter's made this case because we are strangers and foreigners in this land. We are sojourners, king, members of the kingdom of heaven and part of the kingdom of God. However, this is complicated, isn't it? The, the topic of submission and biblical submission to authorities in this world placed over us, it, it, it really gets complicated when you ask this question, how do I know when the government's telling me to do something that is good and should be followed, and how do I know when the government is telling me to do something that is either sinful or would lead to sin and I should disobey? And this is where we need to spend our time. This is really what we need to wrestle with this morning. Because the Bible poses submission as a biblical concept. It, it is not uh, against submission. Uh, again, Lord willing, over the next two sermons, we will continue the idea of submission. Uh, slaves to masters and um, wives to husbands and husbands to wives as we conclude chapter 2 and begin chapter 3. And I posed several questions for us to, to further flesh this out or think this out last week. Um, what does it mean to humble ourselves? What does doing good look like for a Christian? If we are free, why does it so often feel like we're living like slaves? And then lastly, and I would argue most importantly, what does it mean to rightly fear God while obeying His commands? We will answer these questions and others this morning as we continue in our passage. But before we do that, let us read God's word. Would you please follow along with me as I read for us this morning God's word, 1 Peter chapter 2. I will begin in verse 13 and read through verse 17. You can also find the text on the inserts inside of your bulletin. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And just as the water falls to the earth and brings nourishment to the flower and to the grass, so too will God's word nourish you in your hearts this day. May we now go to him and ask his blessing upon this time. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we may hear, receive, and believe your word this day. May we not be 
like the people of Isaiah's time, hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not see. But may we meet with you this morning. On such a difficult and yet important topic, would you bring your truth to light through me, your servant? Lord, I pray that your word would go forth and that your message would be proclaimed and that your truth would offer us hope for living in trying times. And we pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Between the years of 1522 and 1535, a man named William Tyndale became struck by the inability for the common man to read and study the Bible. He himself being a linguist, uh, I believe it was found a German copy, uh, was his ability to access it. But as most couldn't read German and even fewer could read Latin, this troubled him. This led him to translate the Bible into English, his great work, which was illegal at the time. It was very illegal. It was so discouraged and so illegal that in a debate with a Catholic clergyman, he said this, and I quote, I defy the Pope and all of his laws. If God spares my life long enough, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know the scriptures better than you. He did get his wish, by the way. But before being strangled to death and burned for his illegal act, he had another quote. He said this, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. His final prayer, his final words used to God to open the eyes of the King on behalf of the people. Well, if you know your history at all, which I don't confess to um, very well. Two years after his death, King Henry VIII ordered the production of a little-known Bible called the King James Bible. And that Bible, the King James Bible, which some of you may be using this morning, is an 84% copy of the Tyndale New Testament and a 76% copy of the Old. And so most of the translation you have this morning and that is still used to this day is directly due to the life and to the death of one William Tyndale. He gave his life in defiance of rulers of his time over one simple conviction, that the word of God can and must be put in the hands of people and they must have access to it for it is their source of life, their source of truth and the way in which they can know the word of God for themselves. He faced death because he knew that it was his God-given duty and right to disobey those in authority over him. I tell you this story this morning, especially in a sermon on obedience. There may, be, there may come a time in your life where disobeying the authorities over you is the right thing to do, and it may cost you. It may cost you your very life to stand for truth, for biblical truth, to uphold that which is good and that which is right in a world that is quickly turning against God and God's ways. But I also say this morning, and please hear me say this both, there may be times, and in fact I would say more often there will be times in which the good and right thing for you to do as Christians is to submit to the will of the government authorities placed over you, and that will cost you. It will cost you convenience. It will cost you ease. It will cost you your pride. And while it, it may not be your very life at stake, it will hurt. 
And that's the balance, isn't it? When do we submit? When do we obey? And when do we look at those in place over us and say, no, I serve a higher king? Well, Peter's addressing this this morning in our text. And I want us to to really see this from his message. And we're going to do it by looking at three areas. I know last week we really focused on this first point um, to humble yourself in a foreign land. I'm going to review it quickly. But then we're really going to focus on verses 15 to 17. Um, seeing uh, first, we must not refrain from doing good. This is 15, really the center of the text. And then secondly, we will see we must live freely and serve God. Live freely and serve God. We find this in 16 and 17. So this morning we will look at three actions we are to take. Humble yourself in a foreign land in the first two verses. Do not refrain from doing good, or to state it positively, do good at all cost. And then thirdly, live freely and serve your God. Would you follow along with me as I unpack God's word for us this morning? And I do want to review this first section as that context we talked about last week really sets the stage for us today. And a few things to note. Biblically speaking, uh, the, the word translated as humble yourself, maybe your translation says submit um, is hupotasso. Uh, depending on if it's the military you're talking about or civilians, it means one of two things. In military terms, to denote placing troops under leadership or headship of another, it's a ranking. Um, in non-military terms, it has the connotation of voluntarily cooperating and sharing a burden with one another. And so this word means to voluntarily cooperate and share a burden with one another. Or, in more militaristic fashion, it is a ranking. It's a placing in hierarchical order. And so when we read that word, when we think about what humble or submit means, that's really what Peter is trying to say to us. Secondly, it is vital we understand this power has been given to government authorities by God himself. He has ordained them into that office. And while we may not fully understand why, we do see it as so. You can look at two kings to see this. King Saul, the people wanted a king just like the nations. They demanded, we want a king just like everyone else. And God said, okay. And he was a handsome man. He was good to look at. He was smart. He was strong. He was a warrior. And yet he treated them like every other nation was treated under their leadership, which was to serve him and not to serve God. Another king we could look at immediately following the reign of Saul and, 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 and overlapping a little bit is King David, the youngest, the least of which amongst his brothers, and yet he and his faith slew Goliath. He and his faith took up the throne, would not lay a hand upon Saul. He would not strike God's anointed and it, it almost drags out if you, you read through that narrative and it's like, come on, David, just take him out. He's right there. You're in a cave. No one will see it. Take your throne. No, I will not touch God's anointed king. And God takes the man's life and David ascends to the throne and people praise God and worship him and peace comes to the kingdom and all is well until he falls into sin and everything kind of goes from there. But that is the cyclical nature of our life. But two kings, King Saul and King David, both ordained by God, both bring humbleness to the nation, one through his disobedience and one through his submission to God. 
And so God puts people in authority. God puts people in place of power to draw us to himself. And whether that's an act of judgment or an act of mercy, either way, God is praised. And then thirdly, the third thing I want us to remember from that first uh, verse, Peter defines the role of the government. Uh, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. And here's our definition. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Most narrowly defined, biblically speaking, this is the role of the government. To punish evil and to praise those who do good. And this is really where a lot of the controversy comes today. Understanding passages like this, uh, passages like Romans 13, which there are a lot of parallels between these. Um, it, it seems to weigh toward the government. It, it, it seems to give a lot of room for the government. And, and sometimes they use it, misuse it. Uh, they, they take it and, and they apply it however they want. And it doesn't seem like they are punishing evil and praising good. In fact, it seems like they're praising evil and punishing good. So how do, we, how do we sort that out as Christians? We'll get to that in a moment. Um, but suffice it to say, this is God's design for governments. And, and Calvin makes a bold comment here, and, and I'll offer it to you. Um, I really want you to think about this and weigh on this. Calvin says this, There has never been a tyranny, nor can one be imagined, however cruel and unbridled, in which some portion of equity has not appeared. And further, some kind of government, however deformed and corrupt it may be, is still better and more beneficial than total anarchy. And in Calvin's mind, even less than ideal governments are better than absolute anarchy. And we can really weigh on that passage uh, for some time. But suffice it to say, God puts people in place, in places of authority. We are called to submit when they call us to do that which is good and restrain us from that which is evil. And what our job is, is to discern the difference, is to weigh those decisions. And how do we do it? We do it in two ways. One, do not refrain from doing good. Or again, to state it positively, do that which is good at all cost. And so we see that in verse 15. Would you look with me there? This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And so Peter tells us two things here. We submit because it is God's will, and we submit because it will silence foolish people. Let's consider both of them. Let's let's first consider God's will. I love Matthew Henry. I quote him often. He simply says, The will of God is to a good man the strongest reason for duty. In in Matthew Henry's opinion, the case is closed. You are to submit to government authorities who are over you because God said so. And he he really kind of closes it there and then in Matthew Henry fashion then writes two more pages on it. But he says this is it and then he continues. Um, He's a good commentator. Our Lord and our King has commanded us to obey whether we understand it or not, whether we can see his plan in it or not. And it should give, give, that, that alone should give us great pause any time we're tempted to not. We need to have a good enough reason to not obey because we have been commanded to. It needs to be a greater reason that we believe something's at stake, sin, namely, that we would, would go over this command. Now, I'm not saying that to, to, to disobey 
government authorities is sin and it is wrong. It, it, these two aren't at odds in that way. But you really have to weigh, if we're going to say, no, I'm not going to listen to you, am I going out of the will of God? And, and so it, 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 makes us, it, it should make us take great pause. Um, because we, we see in passages like Romans 8, 28 to 30, God's will is for our good. His will is for our good. We know that for those who love God, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Not some things, not the convenient things, not the pleasant things, not the things we like, not the things we understand. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Our obedience to the will of God is how God conforms us to the image of his Son. You are transformed into the image of Christ as you submit, as you obey, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. We are glorified in Christ because God called us out of this world. You are drawn to him. And so Peter is pointing us to and petitioning us to hold to God's will as a reason for obedience. But he doesn't give just that reason, even though that's sufficient in and of itself. I love this. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, this can be read and translated, and it should. Fellow Christians, as you do good those in society will see your good works and be silenced. You, by your good works, will silence the ignorance of those around you. This would be in line with what Peter said in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And I do believe this is in mind. So part of what he's saying is we obey because by obeying, others look at us and see the foolishness of what they're um, what they're doing or not doing. But, and, and, and I, I think this is very important, I also think this passage should be read like this. By doing that which is biblically good, O Christian, you will put to silence the ignorance of those in government authority who are over us. Make sure you heard that. You, Christian, by submitting willfully to God, to those in authority over us, as long as they're not commanding us to sin, will put to silence their ignorance as you demonstrate before them what is biblical and what is right and what is good. Remember, that is that role, the role of the government, to punish evil and to promote or reward good. And let me ask you this in a very practical way. How can anyone learn what is good and what is evil apart from being taught it? We are so blessed. And, and one of my greatest blessings and one of my greatest joys to tell anyone that visits our church or sees us is we have a robust children's ministry at this church. And that from the cradle to the point that you leave our midst, our goal, our pledge, and, and if you've been baptized in our presence, our obligation before God is to help raise you in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So that when you leave this place, you are equipped that you know what is true, what is good, and what is right, and you are able to live it out. But not everyone is blessed that way. Not everyone grows up in that way. We have a blessing, and may we never take that for granted. May we not take for granted covenant families. May we not take for granted the, the, the hold we 
what we hold dear in children's ministry because not everyone gets that. And so it should not surprise us that people rise to positions of authority and positions of power who are ignorant. And remember, ignorance is simply to be un, not knowing or lacking in knowledge. Ignorant of God. Ignorant of good. Ignorant of evil. Now, the word of the Lord is upon the hearts of all. So, so please don't mishear what I'm saying. I, I do believe that we are bound uh, by nature and, and by God and printing his law upon each and every one of us. But those who are in authority are people too. They need to see, they need to know, they need to hear what is good and what is not. And, and, and sometimes what it takes is being taught. We know this. We know this when you go from not understanding something to understanding something. Um, maybe it's a, a task, a project, a skill, and you're like, wow, that is so simple. I didn't know it was like that. Imagine that for those people, those in authority. Imagine them to go, oh, that's not good. I don't need to be mandating that. I don't need to be practicing that. I don't need to be asking others to do that. And here's the problem. Here's where this leads to. And the only way they're going to get there is for and by this book. The same way that the rest of us are, by the way. I'm not putting them in a unique category. But that actually leads, in my opinion, you, you, you read this text... Um, I don't have as much a problem with the, the passage of submit, which I'd say a lot of people will, will want to debate. My greatest struggle with this passage is this, because it applies across the board. In order for any of us, whether you're a government official or you are a Christian in the pew, the, the greatest command in this passage, the, from the thrust of it, is you must be masters of this book. Because how can you know what is right versus what is wrong? How can you do what is right, what is wrong? How can you know the will of God to follow it and know when to stand up and know when to sit down if you do not know his will? Across the board, government leaders, all the way down to our covenant children, we need to know this book and know it well. And to me, that is the, that is the most challenging thing in this passage. It is it's harder than anything else in this passage. Um, and we could look at several places in Scripture. Uh, you know, one of my favorite places uh, is uh, the life of Joshua. Um, Joshua, transfer of leadership, um, had to have been a, a monument. I mean, how do you, how do you follow Moses? Um, but he does. And uh, God tells him this. This is how you follow Moses. God says, here's, here's how you're going to do it, Joshua. Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night to be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You must submit to this book, so much so that it's like it's coming out of your mouth. You go to the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Teach it uh, to your children. The, the, the heart of the, the Hebrew Old Testament, if you will, the, right there in the center. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Teach these words to the children. Talk about them when you rise. Talk about them when you're seated. Talk about them when you go about your way. Put them on your doorpost. Put them on your gate. Make them as frontlets to your eyes. That's all the time, by the way. 
if you can get outside of that description in Deuteronomy 6 and go, there's a time I shouldn't be in God's word or be thinking about it, then let me know because I don't see any cracks. Proverbs 3, another place. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You will find favor and good success good, ooh, good success in the sight of God and the sight of man by keeping to this book, by submitting to this book, by knowing this book, by understanding this book. Now, I don't, I never want to stand in front of you and you hear me and, and it comes across, read the Bible more, you slackers. Like, I, I don't like it when that's done to people, although sometimes that's what we need to hear. Um, rather, I want you to see why studying this book is so important. I want you to see what you get, the blessings from it, the benefits of it, so that you want to. And so when we're told to not refrain from doing good or to do good at all costs, whether it's in front of those in authority over us or in our homes or at our work, what we're really saying is know and study and believe and practice this book for that is the will of God for your life. And by doing so, you will be able to know when that which the government tells you is, is good and when you are to be a William Tyndale and you are to go to your death to be burned and strangled. I don't remember which came first, but they wanted to make sure, and he said, okay, so be it, because it is worth it. And, and this really kind of culminates in our final section as we get our third action to take as we think about this topic of biblical submission. And, and, and this really is the most freeing of, of all of the three points. Because you are free, dear Christian. Live freely because you are free. And serve God. Live freely because you are free and serve God. Look with me at our final section. And, and, and before we get there, um, just as a quick reminder, um, all throughout chapter 1, and all throughout the first half of chapter 2, Peter has been laying out who we are in Christ. This command to biblical submission is not in isolation. This command to biblical submission is found through a whole chapter and a half of this is who you are in Christ. This is who he says you are. This is who he has called you to be and will bring you to be. Which, by the way, holy. Therefore, now be subject to those in authority over you. Uh, just it's too beautiful to miss. Uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those who trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins are part of a royal family. We are citizens of heaven, even while we sojourn here on earth. And this is so important for us to understand. 
if you don't understand this, you will misunderstand what it means to biblically submit. It's why Peter calls us free. He calls us free because we are free. You are free from sin and death. You are free from eternal consequences for your sins. Now, that does not mean you won't face um, earthly consequences for your actions. We will be called to account for our sin. Rob a bank, you're going to jail. And, and in fact, we shouldn't read this as a license to sin. We, we shouldn't you know, take this passage and go, I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. What can you do to me, O world, O earth? Because um, Peter, almost thinking that we may be tempted to go that way, says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as a servant of God. We cannot use our salvation as an excuse to do whatever we want. We, we, we cannot, because we are in Christ, say, I'm not going to submit to that because I don't want to because you're not in charge of me. That would not be Christ-like. Now, I'm certainly not saying that we should refrain from being advocates of change. Far from it. To do that which is truly good and right, as um, he stated in verse 15, we absolutely should and must be advocates for the rights of the unborn. We must support our biblical right to defend our lives and the lives of others. We must support the right for everyone to have God's word in their possession in a translation in which they can read, as well as many other biblical rights. But even then, this does not give us the ability to say, murder, murder abortion doctors. Like, Well, I'm getting a good outcome. No, not really. You're, you're sinning in an attempt to do which you wrongly think is good. Or to um, shoot up LGBTQA plus nightclubs. Even if we think that that which they do and that which they practice is wrong, we cannot hold our, our citizenship like diplomatic immunity and go, I can do whatever I want because what are you going to do to me? That is most certainly not the case. Instead, we are to weigh our actions against God's word, as he says, living as servants of God. You know, that being said, we, we most certainly need to Preach to abortion doctors. We most certainly need to preach to those in the LGBTQA plus community. But we have a sharper weapon than murder, by the way. FYI, we have, we have a tool uh, cuts deeper than bone and flesh. Cuts to the soul and to the spirit. Uh, to the very inside of man. To the heart. We wield a far better weapon. In light of all of this, Peter, Peter wraps up his, his, this topic in, in this interesting, interesting conclusion. Uh, look at this, this final set of commands. He really gets a lot in this, uh, this statement. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And we, we see this, this tie um, to who we are and what we're called to be. Uh, one commentator says, We must cultivate as far as we can peace and friendship. With all. In, in that first section, honor everyone. Again, there's no exclusion there. Everyone is everyone. Honor them. How do we honor them? By treating them kindly and with love, by respecting them, by showing them undeserved kindness. Because Christ showed undeserved kindness to us. He then says, Love the brotherhood. Interesting word choice here, but what he's meaning, it's a very specific phrase. It means those inside the church. Dear Christian, you're honoring everyone. 
But you have a special charge to love those of the faith. You have a special charge to, to love and care for and walk alongside and, and sacrifice with and suffer together those who are in the faith. It would make sense otherwise, elsewise in Scripture. We're called the body of Christ. And so what I do for you, I do for my body. What I, when I care for you, I am caring for myself and therefore caring for Christ's bride. And then, and I I really like this as the pinnacle of the passage, fear God. Fear God. A a righteous fear of the Lord is necessary. Uh, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Isaiah um, 11.1-3, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch of his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. It's Jesus, by the way. A prophetic word about our Savior to come, a prophetic word about who Jesus is and what he will be, and in the description of him, he will be marked by a fear of God. And so if Christ rightly fears God, if Christ rightly has that relationship with the Father. How much more shall we? I'll say this, a fear. Um, A right fear of God cultivates knowledge and wisdom. We find this in the Proverbs and the Psalms. It's a weapon against sin. And according to Luke 150, it's a gift of God's very mercy. We're promised that it will promote life. We're promised that it will protect us and protect our children. In fact, righteous fear is essential for our Christian walk. And then it's these final words, as Peter wraps this up, that really drives it all home. On the topic of submission and what that looks like, Peter says, honor the emperor. And, and, and notice here, word choice is very important. Where does Peter place the emperor in this list? Parallel to everyone else. What was the first one? Honor everyone. What is the last one? Honor the emperor. Not elevating or not subjugating, but putting the emperor right there with everyone else. We are to honor those in authority just like we honor anyone that we would see, being a good Samaritan to them all. We give a special love and respect to those inside the household of faith. And above all else, we reserve the greatest honor, respect, fear, and submission to God. Dear church, this passage of scripture can be very hard to live out. So often, our own desires and our own natures will get in the way to submitting to those God have placed over us. It is so easy to be armchair quarterbacks And look at those in authority knowing we could make better decisions, putting ourselves in their place. But let me conclude with three points of application this morning. And and I am so grateful to know that we as a church, we do these things. One, pray for those God has placed over you. Pray for those in authority and leadership. Please, please, please pray for them. Because you know the best way to have people over you that punish that which is evil and do that which is good? to have them know and trust God. And you know the best way we can see that that happens? We pray that God makes it so. The, the, to drastically change our lives, we can pray for those who are in leadership over us, that they would submit themselves to the word of God. So please pray for them. Two, read, study, discuss, and pour over this book as if your life depends upon it, because it does. Please, dear Christian, 
The only way you can know what it means to submit, the only way you can discern what is good and what is evil, the only way you can rightly live this out is by making this the book of your life, your study. Teach it to your children. See that what you say and what you do is shaped by this book, especially in the realm of politics. And then three, honor everyone by being open with the gospel. The best news we have is the good news of Jesus Christ. The best we can offer anyone is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of their sins. From the homeless person asking for change to the president in the White House, my prayer is that when you come in contact with either, if you do, you offer them the gospel because that is the greatest thing you could give either of those people and it's the most, I guarantee you, it's most certainly the very thing that they need. And so, dear church, as you choose how to submit yourself to government authorities, be ready to share the good news of the gospel for in that you are giving them the best that they can have and what they need to live out and carry out their job before God and before us. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, oh, what a, a humbling joy it is to know that you use lost sinners, that you use the weak to humble the strong, that you use that which is low to tear down that which is high. Father, I am so grateful that you would use such a broken vessel as myself. Lord, it is easy to preach the mission. It is far more difficult to actually carry it out. It, it is easy to submit to those that are over us when I like what they're doing, but it is far harder to submit when I don't. Oh, Lord, but would you be with each of us? Give us discernment. Give us understanding. Help us to discuss with one another and, and really pray and, and make sure that, that we are living out your will because there will come times to disobey and there will come times to submit and obey and you are the only way we're going to be able to know the difference. Lord, knit us together as a church and as a community. We need each other. We need each other in this. And as the world continues to, to plunge itself further and further away from you, or so it seems anyway, we're going to need you more and more. Please be with your people. Unite us together in our love and understanding of you. And prepare us for that which is ahead. And lastly, oh Lord, I'll just say, come quickly, Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We cannot wait for that day in which you make everything good and right and perfect. Until then, give us the strength needed to carry on. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.